Yes, Chair. Um, Commissioner Chan, Chan absent. Present. Oh, I'm sorry. C uh, Chan is present. Commissioner Dorsey? Present. Dorsey present. Commissioner Mandelman? Present. Mandelman present. Commissioner Marr? Present. Marr present. Commissioner Melgar? Melgar present. Commissioner Peskin? Present. Peskin present. Commissioner Preston? Preston present. Commissioner Ronan? Ronan absent. Present. Oh, she's no, present. I'm, I'm present. I'm so sorry. Ronan is present. Okay. Um, Commissioner Safai? Safai is absent. Commissioner Stephanie? Stephanie's present. Commissioner Walton? Walton present. We have quorum. Oh. And I am excusing him. Um, and I believe you have a public comment announcement. And I do want to thank Jason Kalina at SFGov TV. Yes, Chair. Um, one moment. For members of the public interested in participating in this board meeting, we welcome your attendance here in person in the legislative chamber, room 250 in City Hall, or you may watch cable channel 26 or 99 depending on your provider, or stream the meeting live at www.sfgovtv.org. For those wishing to make public comment remotely, the best way to do so is by dialing 415-655-0001, and when prompted, entering access code 2488-127-9818, and then press pound and pound again. You'll be able to listen to the meeting in real time. When public comment is called for the item you wish to speak on, press star three to be added to the queue to speak. Do not press star three again or you will be removed from the queue. When the system says your line is unmuted, the live operator will advise that you will be allowed two minutes to speak. When your two minutes are up, we will move on to the next caller. Calls will be taken in the order in which they are received. Best practices are to speak slowly, clearly, and turn down the volume of any televisions or radios around you. Public comment for items on this agenda will be taken first from members of the public in attendance in the legislative chamber and then afterwards from the remote speaker's queue on the telephone line. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Madam Clerk. And before calling the next item, um, as chair, I'm invoking rule 3.26 from our rules of order to limit uh, total public comment per item to 30 minutes uh, for today's meeting. Um, and now, Madam Clerk, will you call the next item? Item two, chair's report. This is an information item. All right. Uh, thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, well. Colleagues, notwithstanding the Supreme Court's massive churd in the punch bowl that they delivered on Friday, there has been, this has been a month of much celebration and gaiety across the city. Uh, community events commemorating the Juneteenth holiday, a Warriors Championship Parade, and the first Pride Parade and party at Civic Center in three years, as well as many other Pride events in the Castro and elsewhere. All of this reminds us of the important role that our streets play as public spaces for revelry, as well as places to hold peaceful protests and demonstrations. I want to thank all the public safety personnel and first responders, transit operators, and maintenance crews, and community organizations who put in the hard work to make these gatherings possible. The last uh, couple of years of COVID have been hard on all these folks, um, and they really came through this weekend, for which um, I, and I know we are all, profoundly grateful. 
Earlier this month, uh, we also had an election uh, which saw the narrow loss of the $400 million Prop A Muni and Safe Streets bond measure. This measure would have funded critical infrastructure for reaching our Vision Zero goals, which we will be discussing later this morning, as well as Muni transit facilities and street and signal projects citywide. This was certainly a disappointing result, and I look forward to inviting MTA to discuss with us at a future meeting the impact the bond measures failure will have on these important programs and what we can do to help them plug some of the gaps they now face. Meanwhile, we here at the TA will need to learn from this experience and thoughtfully consider implications and lessons from these results as we look forward to a renewal of our half-cent sales tax, we hope, for uh, on the November ballot. Um, the sales tax expenditure plan that would determine how that renewed sales tax revenue would be spent was guided by over two dozen community and civic groups, and we've heard from many of them, as well as from our community advisory committee and friends in labor, that it is more important than ever to reauthorize the transportation sales tax. Not only do we need to fund important Muni, BART, and Caltrain system reliability improvements and maintenance projects and provide local matching funds to projects seeking federal and state grants, we also need to, con to ensure continued funding of neighborhood-level programs like street repaving, crosswalks and signals, as well as paratransit for seniors and people with disabilities. As we look to gain voter support for reauthorization this fall, I am pleased to report that Fitch has reaffirmed the Transportation Authority's sales tax revenue bonds at the highest possible credit rating of AAA. This is the second consecutive year Fitch affirmed a AAA rating on the agency's debt placing the Transportation Authority among the highest rated organizations in California. The TA's continued high credit rating is good news for San Franciscans. It translates into cost-effective borrowing for the agency as we accelerate delivery of transportation projects citywide, and it also underscores the Transportation Authority's sound stewardship of the tax revenue the voters entrust to us. Thank you to the TA's management team and especially the finance team led by De Deputy Director for Finance and Administration, Cynthia Fong, for your continued great work. And with that, I conclude my remarks, and um, we should open this item to public comment. Do we? Operator, is there anyone um, on, on queue? For public comment? Yes. Welcome, caller. Your two minutes begins now. Caller? Hello? Go ahead, caller. Okay. So, what I wanted to say was that. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay, Go ahead, good. caller. So what I wanted to say was we lost the bond matcher because we did not do uh, the sound and meaningful outreach in the west part of uh, San Francisco. And this was because of the arrogance of the municipal transportation agency. You cannot fool the waters all the time. The services in the western side of our city is uh, pathetic. Now, having said that, you all had a meeting today early on without giving uh, 
two notice that that uh, meeting that preceded this meeting was illegal. And uh, if anybody proceeds, you all will find out. Stop having meetings like that. You could have this this meeting, the main meeting first, and then that meeting, but not the other way around. For which the San Francisco County Transportation Authority is responsible. They, they have been hoodwinking us for a long time, and um, the time has come to put them on notice. And as I said several times, this city is a very corrupt city. For all the tears you all shared on some of the issues, you all don't do due diligence because you all don't follow the Brown Act. Again, this city is very corrupt. Very, very corrupt. Uh, thank you. Your two minutes are up. There are no additional callers for this item. All right. Public comment item two is closed. Madam Clerk, can you please call, call item three? Yes. Item three is executive director's report. This is an information item. Director Chang. Can we turn on the microphone for... Good morning, Chair and Commissioners. Happy to report this month on a few um, updates. Earlier this month, I was honored to join the Metropolitan Transportation Commission's uh, trip, advocacy trip, annual uh, uh, delegation to Washington, D.C. to advocate for the region and San Francisco's top priorities for the infrastructure bill that was passed last year. Uh, for San Francisco, MTC's adopted priorities include uh, Muni and BART core capacity projects, the Caltrain electrification project, as well as the downtown extension. Um, I was uh, very pleased to join MTC's meetings with congressional offices, including Speaker Pelosi's office, Senator Padilla's staff, and staff from the U.S. Department of Transportation. We discussed the TJPA's downtown rail extensions, uh, seeking CIG, or capital improvement grant program funds, as well as many other Bay Area transportation priorities. I also had the opportunity to speak with staff from the Federal Transit Administration, uh, capital investment grant programs, including we met with the administrator, Nuria Fernandez, so we want to appreciate her and her staff's time uh, to meet with all of us, and also want to pass on their kudos to our travel demand modeling team led by Deputy Director Joe Castiglione, who worked with TJPA staff, um, and the, the stop model for that work has been accepted by FTA, which is a major milestone. Now turning to some exciting uh, developments over this past weekend at the state level, uh, governor and legislative leaders announced a multi-year, multi-billion dollar transportation funding package uh, over the weekend, and this contains significant investments in public transit and clean transportation projects. So I really want to appreciate Budget Chair uh, Assemblymember Phil Ting and Budget Chair Skinner uh, working on this package over the weekend. Some of the highlights include $4 billion for transit capital projects statewide, which will be allocated via population-based formulas, $1.5 billion for high-priority transit and rail infrastructure projects to be awarded through a competitive program, and $1.1 billion for the active transportation program, all of which are sorely needed and we're very happy to see. In addition, there will be $198 million for local climate adaptation projects and 
$150 million for grade separation projects. Uh, of course, the latter uh, in part will be conditioned on the legislature and the administration reaching an agreement on funding high-speed rail throughout the state. The budget also includes $3.5 billion for zero emission transit buses and supporting infrastructure such as charging. The budget bills do not currently contain funding to advance free transit proposals introduced in the Assembly Bill 1919 uh, by Assemblymember Holden, nor do they provide much needed funding to support transit operations. We will be providing an update on this significant budget investment in transportation program as part of our federal and state ledge update at your July 12th board meeting. And I want to thank Amber Crabb and Anna Lafort and Maria Lombardo for working together with MTC um, on these on these issues. Finally, our one Bay Area grant cycle, speaking of MTC, these are funds that MTC makes available to each county for programming. Um, applications for these are due July 1. Uh, in May, following the board's first read of our OBAG 3 uh, framework, we released a call for projects to nominate up to $53 million in federal funds over four years to this body. Um, and public agencies are eligible to apply for a variety of project types, from transit capacity and enhancements to pedestrian and bicycle safety to street resurfacing. Applications, again, are due by July 1, and we anticipate bringing the project recommendations to our community advisory, board, excuse me, community advisory committee and the board in September in order to meet MTC's deadline for these funds. So uh, for more information, folks can visit our website, sfcta.org slash funding. With that, I conclude my report. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Executive Director. Um, let's open your report to public comment. Operator, is there anyone on the phone line? Yes, there is. Caller, your two minutes begins now. Yeah, what I wanted to hear from uh, the director was they are proposing a station at 1800 Oakdale. This project has taken over 15 years, and now they want, they're proposing to build a, a substation at Avon Street. I want the director of the San Francisco County Transportation Authority to be very transparent and the public to know exactly what is happening and the Board of Supervisors to pay attention to this. This matter, this project has taken 15 years off and on and now they want to build a brand new substation on 15, near 1550 Evans, on land that's prone to liquefaction and flooding. Who is fooling whom? And this big talk that you go to Washington, meet Nancy Pelosi and all, nothing much has happened in San Francisco. In San Francisco, instead of our transportation going forward, and I've been all over the world, lived in Europe and everywhere. It's going backwards. Filthy, stinking people coming to the bus. We are prone to all kind of violence. And here they're talking about millions of dollars 
but how are you addressing quality of life issues linked to transportation on a, on a scale of one to 10 minus five? Thank you very much. There is no additional public comment. All right, public comment on item three is closed. Madam Clerk, please call item four. Item four, approve the minutes of the June 7, 2022 meeting. This is an action item. All right, let's open this item to public comment. Operator, is there anyone on the phone? There is no public comment. Public comment on item four is closed. Is there a motion to approve the minutes? Item four. Moved by Peskin, seconded by Walton. Uh, Madam Clerk, please call the roll. Uh, yes, Chair. Um, Commissioner Chan? Aye. Can I? Commissioner Dorsey? Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. Commissioner Mandelman? Aye. Mandelman, aye. Commissioner Marr? Aye. Marr, aye. Commissioner Melgar? Aye. Melgar, aye. Commissioner Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. Commissioner Preston? Preston, aye. Uh, Commissioner Ronan? Aye. Ronan, aye. Commissioner Safai is excused. Commissioner Stephanie? Aye. Stephanie, aye. Commissioner Walton? Aye. Walton, aye. We have 10 ayes. The minutes are approved. All right. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Please call our consent agenda, consent agenda items five through eight. Consent agenda items five through eight comprise the consent agenda. Staff is not planning to present, but is available for questions. These items have not yet appeared before the board, so we will need to take public comment on the consent agenda. Uh, no, that's no. not correct. I'm so sorry. <laughs> My notes are incorrect. Um, we have received several public comments on the uh, bike rack allocation under item six, the transportation fund for clean air, which are posted to the website. Um, uh, and the correction is that um, this is consent agenda and these items are up for final approval. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, is there a motion to approve the consent agenda? Moved by Melgar, seconded by Walton. Madam Clerk, please call the roll. Commissioner Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Commissioner Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. Commissioner Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Commissioner Namar. Aye. Mar, aye. Commissioner Melgar. Melgar, aye. Commissioner Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Commissioner Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Commissioner Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. Commissioner Safai is excused. Commissioner Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Commissioner Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. We have 10 ayes. The consent agenda um, is approved. All right. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Please call item nine. Item nine, Vision Zero 2021 Traffic Fatality Report. This is an information item. Thank you. Um, colleagues, this is part two uh, of the Vision Zero discussion that we, we started at our last meeting that focused on the progress of the updated action plan 
Um, and we anticipate that will be the subject of a follow-up hearing uh, this fall. Today, we're going to hear from Department of Public Health on the 2021 traffic fatality report. While this data covers last year, um, the numbers are not looking good for 2022. In fact, with the year just halfway over, we've been averaging about one traffic-related fatality per week. This is not good, and it's a strong signal that we have to bring all the resources we can to move in this trend in the opposite direction. I'm looking forward to our discussion today and also uh, um, to hearing potent more potentially about the role that traffic enforcement could play in efforts to ensure that every San Franciscan can feel safe on our streets. Um, and I think that we have uh, from Department of Public Health, Devin Morris. Uh, updated Seth Pardo here today. Oh, there we go. Um, Seth Pardo. Good afternoon, or guys, good morning still, commissioners. Wow. Um, so I have here, um, do I have to, am I going to present my own slides here? One moment. Can you all see my slides? No. Can we help Mr. Pardo with, are we, are we helping? SF Glove, if there's slides on Teams, could you please share the camera? Oh, great. Thank you. Okay. Okay, if I forward this, can you see me forwarding the slides here? Well, it looks like it's showing up on Teams. It doesn't look like it's getting from That's Teams correct. to SFGovTV. Do we know how to fix that? Gov, no good. Do we need to take a couple minutes to address? There we go. Good job. Thank you. What a team. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, my name is Dr. Seth Pardo. I am the director of the Center for Data Science at the Department of Public Health. I'm also the co-chair for the Vision Zero uh, initiative. Uh, with the city. I work closely with uh, Ryan Reeves and Jamie Parks over at SFMTA, as well as several other partners throughout our various city agencies it, with SFPD, our emergency services, the medical examiner's office, among many others. Uh, this is a deep collaborative effort, uh, and I present here the data from our most recent 2021 fatality report. Um, the Center for Data Science, for which I'm the director, leads the data systems. Uh, we are a partner in community uh, engagement and education as well through our community health equity and promotion branch within the Department of Public Health. And we also participate in the crisis response uh, for victims' families through the DPH crisis team. Uh, those both community health equity and promotion and the crisis response team are other uh, divisions within the Department of Public Health. Um, however, for all of the consortium DPH activities I serve as co-chair for this Vision Zero initiative, just to put that into some perspective. 
Uh, Vision Zero overall is a data-driven approach and we abide by certain core principles. I'll get to that in just a moment. Um, safety is our highest priority in the preservation of hum human life. Um, according to Vision Zero, traffic deaths are preventable. Uh, the city centers equity in our Vision Zero uh, efforts. We prioritize traffic safety investments in the neighborhoods and communities that are the most disproportionately impacted by traffic deaths and severe injuries. And we know that speed is a fundamental predictor of uh, crash survival. The faster someone's going, the, more, the less likely someone is to survive an impact with a vehicle. And as people age, their vulnerability to severe and fatal injury increases. Uh, human error is inevitable at times and unpredictable, unpredictable depending on several factors. Um, but Vision Zero Initiative prioritizes the design of the transportation system to anticipate this error and design for safer transportation on our city streets. So here are the trends since the since 2005. You can see here somewhere towards the middle in 2014 when Vision Zero was adopted. The dotted line in the middle shows the overall average since 2005, and uh, you can see that there's there was a little dip as we got towards 2017, and then a little increase again between 2018 and 2020, and then slight dip below average in 2021. But regardless, uh, acknowledging that. This, these are too many deaths on our streets. So presenting the data here, the blue portion uh, is are those who have been killed while walking or pedestrians. The yellow is those who have been killed while bicycling. And the green are those who have been killed while either riding or driving in vehicles. Okay. So when breaking down our fatalities by travel mode, uh, the pedestrians uh, overall have been the most vulnerable. Um, you can see the pedestrian category are those bars all the way on the left. Uh, while they have decreased over over the over time, uh, the lighter bars are 2014 to 2020, and the darker bars 2021. So, since 2014, uh, number of pedestrians deaths have been decreasing, but we're still any number greater than zero is too many. So there's still too many. Um, we do see, by data-wise, uh, we do see that there have been um, more people on the roads and more people in the city. Uh, there has been a 630,000-mile increase in the daily vehicle miles traveled. And we also have an increase in use of transportation network companies, such as Uber, Lyft, et cetera, that are accounting for approximately 47% of the increase of these vehicle miles traveled on our streets. Um, in San Francisco, between 2010 and 2020, uh, there have been approximately 150,000 new residents who have come to San Francisco uh, with 170,000 new jobs in town. But we also know that um, during the pandemic, despite less people driving on our roadways, people may have been driving faster, less traffic, more speed. This results in potentially more severe crashes with a higher likelihood of fatality. Comp uh, compile that with uh, those uh, who are in the aged group, uh, 65 plus. I'll show you some of those stats in a moment. Um, about approximately one fifth of the residents in San Francisco are seniors. Um, but by 2040, the Bay Area's senior population is forecasted to grow approximately 137%. Uh, if you would like references for these uh, statistics, I'm happy to provide them. Uh, people experiencing homelessness have high exposure to traffic-related risk factors. And between 2015 and 2019, we have seen a 15% increase in people living on the streets. 
uh, combined with uh, physical and mental health concerns for those individuals who are unstably housed, they are um, at risk to some of the uh, it crashes on our streets. Okay, uh, this is an, uh, an image of our most recent high entry network. Uh, the high entry network uh, d displays that 75% uh, of all San Francisco severe and fatal traffic injuries occur on 13% of our streets, although only 31% of our streets are in communities of concern. Um, those communities include those uh, from low-income families, communities of color, people who are over the age of 65, people who rely on walking and transit as their primary means of transportation, and 50%, 5-0, of our high-entry network are in these uh, communities of concern. So you can see here where the blue lines are on the image here. Those are our communities of concern. In 2021, uh, nearly two-thirds of all traffic, fa traffic fatalities occurred on this Vision Zero high injury network, and uh, over half of those fatalities were also overlapping with these equity priority neighborhoods, 11 of which are in the high injury network. Um, our geospatial analyst uh, is currently analyzing the latest trends, and we hope to have an update sometime this fall. Um, 22%, about a fifth of all crash fatalities were amongst those age 65 and older, despite representing only 18% of our city's demographic. So this is an overrepresentation amongst our elder population. Um, some of the top vehicle factors uh, in severe and fatal injuries to people walking include a driver's fa failure to yield and unsafe speed. So here you see the uh, detail in the data for a uh, number of seniors who have been killed in traffic fatalities uh, in 2021. Uh, it is lower than previous years. You can see here over on the right-hand side, we see a lower number, six uh, of those who are seniors, also lower than the um, SF population percentage, but that's not sugarcoating anything. We're, we're also talking about way too many fatalities on our streets. Um, we can see that amongst those age uh, 45 to 64, the number has severely uh, decreased uh, and is also relatively low relative to the uh, San Francisco population percentage. But we see an over uh, an increase in an overrepresentation or an increase and at representation for those age 25 to 44. Uh, Statistically, I can tell you that pedestrian fatalities for those in our aged category 65 plus are down 22% uh, from over 50% in previous years, um, despite remaining particularly continuously vulnerable. Um, but the number of younger adults aged 25 to 44 are higher in 2021 than any year since Vision Zero was implemented. That is of concern. When we break down the fatalities by race and ethnicity, um, what this graph shows here is the proportion of those impacted uh, in our fatality statistics relative to their representation in our San Francisco population. So amongst those that are Latinx or Hispanic, there is, an, there is a representative uh, proportion of those in our fatality counts as to those in our San Francisco population, but there is, and there is an underrepresentation amongst both Asians and whites when looking by race, ethnicity. There is a dramatic overrepresentation of those who are Black, non Hispanic in our fatality counts. 
black individuals are overrepresented in our fatality data relative to their representation in our San Francisco population. When we examine fatality data by sex, males are uh, males represent about 51% of San Francisco's demographic. However, in 2021, uh, as well as in several other annual review periods, males are overrepresented in our fatality statistics, most recently 70%. Fatality mode reveals different patterns between males and females. Nearly one third of people killed while walking were male, and all those who were killed while bicycling or standing on a powered scooter mobility device were also identified as male. Okay, when we look at some of the primary collision factors, uh, apologies if it's hard to dis uh, differentiate between the gray scale color in the middle and the top, but I'll go from top down on this graph. The topmost line that uh, starts at about three and goes up to about nine, that the reasons the primary collision factors between 2018 and 2021 there are unsafe speed or, uh, for, for um what is appropriate on the roadway for prevailing conditions. The middle line there that kind of hovers between three and four is uh, driver or cyclist responsibility to yield at a red signal. Um, and then the lightest grayscale line that kind of has this little U-curve uh, is where a pedestrian is supposed to yield the right of way outside of the crosswalk. And what I want to point our attention to here is despite uh, slight increases across each of these um, primary collision factors, one of the things that we did notice in our analyses is that um, that we have seen a dramatic decrease since 2019 for uh, reasons of driver failure to yield right away at crosswalks. So while this is not a direct cause effect, um, when we talked about severe injury uh, a few months ago uh, at the Board of Supervisors presentation, there was a lot of talk around some of these quick build projects. and. There has been a tremendous investment over the last couple of years in quick build projects and, and a lot of emphasis on protecting our pedestrians. And what this is showing is that in the crosswalks and protecting our pedestrians in our crosswalks, there has been a two-year dramatic improvement down to zero uh, in 2021 for any driver failure to your right of way at the crosswalk. So I'd like to highlight this as, a, as an incredible um, accomplishment for uh, the Vision Zero investments. And I'm, I'm really proud of the team for the work that they've done to turn that curve. Vision Zero also tracks the proportion of traffic fatalities affecting people with no fixed address. Oh no. Okay. Um, I have a technical issue. My, can you, if you can still hear me, my Teams has uh, signed me out. So I'm going to have to, uh, I can still hear you, but I have to take a moment to refresh my screen to come right back into Teams. Uh, may I ask for 60 seconds to be able to do that? Just interrupt my presentation really quickly. Certainly. Okay, I'll be right back.
Can you hear me now? We can. Can you see my screen? We cannot. I don't think. Now we can. There we go. Okay. Apologies for that. No worries. Yeah. Um, so we track uh, those who have no fixed address. Uh, in 2021, four people uh, without, without a fixed address were killed on our city streets. <clears throat> that represents about 15% of our data and down from six in 2020. About 14% of those on the uh, freeway fatalities that we've uh, counted also have affected people experiencing uh, an unfixed address. Now, this 14% represents one out of seven. Um, so it is uh, rel relative to the denominator, but again, uh, that 15% represents seven people, sorry, four people down from six in 2020, uh, one out of seven who were killed on the freeway was someone who was without a fixed address. Um, relative to the San Francisco population, we have approximately less than 1% of the city population recognized as without a fixed address. However, we have 14% represented, 15% represented in our fatality statistics. So that's an overrepresentation of those with an unfixed address. Okay. Um, for the second consecutive year, a rider of a standing powered device uh, count figured in our fatality account figured in our fatality counts in 2021. One rider was killed while riding a rented e-scooter. The scooter that it was in this count was a Lime e-scooter, and the rider was considered a single party collision fatality. Um, single party uh, fatalities totaled nine, or represented 33% of our fatalities in 2021. This is two more than last year. And our fatal collisions occurred more frequently in the late night hours between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. In 2021, 30% or eight of our traffic fatalities uh, resulted from a collision in which the driver left the scene after colliding with uh, a pedestrian, uh, counted as hit and run. Uh, this was a majority of our pedestrian fatalities, or 8 out of 13, or 62%. This is a plus one from 2020. So what this slide aims to do is put San Francisco in context with what's going on nationally. Uh, in San Francisco, compared to 2020, in 2021, we saw a 10% decrease overall in our traffic fatalities, whereas nationally, uh, we, there was an increase, about 10.5%. Pedestrians are overrepresented in our fatality counts locally in San Francisco, despite representing only 17% of all traffic-related fatalities nationwide. Um, motorists comprise about 44% of our fatalities in San Francisco, uh, despite representing 66% nationally. Uh, we have an overrepresentation of bicyclists and, and motorcyclists. This is some familiar information that we presented in our uh, Vision Zero general update to the Board of Supervisors a month or two ago. Um, we have, this is the proportion of uh, investment that, uh, at, that we are, that the city is um, allocating across the different uh, improvements and policy uh, changes to um, imp further improve safety on our streets. Uh, 
There's attention to major street redesign, which includes car-free zones, quick build projects, bike lane improvements, transit-only lanes. Uh, There is uh, an investment in policy and policy change regarding speed safety cameras, potentially mode shift pricing tools, advanced vehicle technologies such as uh, braking or advanced driver-assisted systems, and uh, discussions around increased housing density uh, where particularly this housing near jobs or services, especially affordable housing for those who are otherwise either um, have unstable address or insecure housing who otherwise are the vulnerable pedestrians and elder populations on our streets. There are a number of um, programs that have been going on locally uh, that have made huge investments in Vision Zero activities. So there are the Safe Streets, Safe People, Safe Vehicle programs. To slow vehicle speeds, the MTA is completing uh, all eligible quick builds on the high entry network. They will release a comprehensive speed management plan and complete traffic calming at 100 locations citywide. This is a significant increase in the quick builds from the 2019 strategy, which identified five five quick builds uh, over a two-year period. As of April 2021, the new speed limit in the Tenderloin neighborhood is now 20 miles an hour. Um, And roughly a couple months ago, Uh, Vision Zero at Work posters went up all over San Francisco to explain some of the various safety-related engineering installments that will help us reach our Vision Zero goal. The posters are intended to help commuters learn more about protected bike lanes, uh, bus um, build-outs, pedestrian scrambles, uh, daylighting, and other street improvements that might have recently been seen for the first time in those neighborhoods, so really increasing education and awareness of these protective factors. Uh, there is a uh, safer crossings uh, to an effort to upgrade all intersections with continental crosswalks, daylighting, and slower wa- slower walking speeds in the countdowns for crossing the streets. Some expanded turn-related treatments, uh, including left turn traffic calming programs, and a number of these uh, improvements that have already taken place. You could, I showed you the trend downward of the uh, number of fatalities of pedestrians in crosswalks, and so. Um, we're already showing that a lot of these investments are starting to turn the curve. A little bit more about some of the data systems within the Center for Data Science. Uh, There is a public-facing database called Transbase. Uh, We also integrate the police department traffic collision data into uh, this database uh, through a crime data warehouse. And um, we release an annual severe injury trend report uh, towards the end of the year. we will be updating, as I mentioned, the high injury map, uh, which links police, hospital, and emergency medical services data with the most recent data that we receive uh, from the Office of Medical Examiner. And uh, that is also summarized in our annual fatality report to the, uh, the city and county. We, uh, in the high injury network, we utilize data from the traffic injury surveillance system, which uh, hopes to identify the corridors on our streets and that map that I showed you with the blue lines with uh, the numbers of severe and fatal injuries on our streets. Um, We're overdue for a refresh forthcoming. We are resolving some of the um, technical data uh, interruptions we've had during COVID, but we're bringing those systems back online and we're hard at work and making sure that that is ready uh, by the fall. Um, Some of the upcoming projects include a 911 call integration, crash reports, injury crash data, um, hopefully on data SF, uh, and um, that, that does it for me.
thank you very much for your time today. Uh, huge shout out to Devin Morris, my integrated systems analyst. Um, this data would not be available to you without his help. So major, major shout out of thanks to Devin Morris for this. Thank you, uh, Dr. Pardo. Um, I have a, few, a couple questions if colleagues will indulge me. All right. Um, can we talk a little bit more about the high injury network map, which you touched on? Um, it, my understanding is that that at this point is like five or six years old. Is that right? I believe the most recent update was 2017 or 18 or thereabouts. So yes. All right. So four. Um, and ideally you would be updating that annually based on new information or what would the tempo at which you would like to be updating that be? It updates every three to four years. 2017 was a formally our last update. Is that a best practice or is that because of limits on availability of the data? Let me, so those, these are excellent questions. I am currently um, checking my notes here. Uh, this is when we get our data from the, this is the interval that we get our data from the trauma registry from the, from the hospital. And why is that? Some of that has to do with burden. Uh, a lot of it is done manually. Uh, we don't have the kind of automated systems to uh, push these data out automatically. We pull data from our emergency services uh, connections, our MOUs with the emergency medical services. We have to pull that data manually. We have to cross-check it, clean it, make sure it is accurate before we put it into the linkage system for the upgraded map. So. Um, ideally, we could uh, do it more frequently as a best practice, but technically we would not be able, we don't have the capacity just yet to do it more, more frequently. What, what are the resource constraints on that? Is that a person or is that 20 people or a new computer system or what are the, and is that like $100,000 or is that like $10 million or what are the, it seems like it'd be a good thing to do. Yeah, I completely agree with you, and I really appreciate this question. Um, if it is okay, if, with the permission of the board, I would like to potentially um, discuss the investment uh, with my hospital partners yeah. and see what would it take to um, have the appropriate dedicated staff capacity, uh, not just to do this work manually at the current state, but to make yeah. an investment in an automated system that could potentially do this without having a manual data entry and push. That, that is, I really appreciate that question. Thank you. That would be great. And our TA staff can follow up with you and we can hear updates. Fantastic. When this comes back in the fall. Yeah. We're not this particular. Absolutely. Episode, but our Vision Zero conversation comes back in the fall. Um, I got to tell you, it would, be, it would be a dream to be able to build a system that would lower the burden on our hospital staff and to lower the burden on our city staff for pulling these data uh, and having a more automated system. Um, two, two other questions then. So on, um, you know, you cited the speed safety cameras as kind of a, you know, an important part of, um, of uh, trying to address these fatalities. And this is a little bit going back to the presentation last week, but is, we, we do have empty, we have MTA here, right? 
It feels like, uh, is Tom McGuire here? Or somebody? MTA, are you there? Hey, um, good morning, commissioners. Tom McGuire is not here, but um, Jamie Parks representing Livable Streets at SMTA. I am here if there are questions. Hey, Jamie Parks. Why only six speed safety cameras? I mean, it seems like such a, such a really like good basic way of getting, um, making our intersections safer. What, why, why are we doing just the six? Uh, are we referring to, there, is this referring to red light cameras? Yeah. Perhaps? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, the issue with the red light cameras is really a resource and cost issue. So they're quite costly to install and then they actually are a drain on the operating budget as well. So they are money losers. And so it's a, it's a cost and resource issue to install more red light cameras, but we are committed to expanding the program. And note that I think our, our first attempt and always is to eliminate red light running through better design. And so focusing on um, you know, building more visible traffic signals with larger signal heads or longer mast arms. We focus on that first and put in the red light cameras kind of as a last resort where we still continue to have red light running problems even after we've invested in the, the better infrastructure. Okay, and what, what is the cost of a can? Well, this is an unfair question because do you happen to know? Um, not an exact cost. I think an approximate cost is, you know, a half million dollars per intersection. And I don't know the I don't know the annual operating cost, but there's a, a cost operated as well. And they do bring in some money in tickets, but um, and I guess the the last question is I don't know who could possibly address this, and this is way more than we probably want to get into in this conversation, and probably and I'm thinking we probably need to have maybe a hearing at the board on it. But you know, the, there's two ways of enforcing. Um, traffic violations, there's cameras, and we have some ability to do that, at least with red lights, and then there's people who give tickets of some variety. And, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, Supervisor Fewer, with, you know, my interest in um, co-sponsorship was pursuing the building up of traffic company. But where are we on enforcing, you know, the focus on the five kind of, um, I think we have someone from uh, PD here. We do not. All right, thought we did. So, okay, we will pursue that in another conversation. Um, Commissioner Melgar. Uh, thank you, uh, Chair Mandelman. Um, I find this report uh, really distressing and frustrating. So, you know, in District 7, we do participatory budgeting, and uh, half of our participatory budgeting funds go to Vision Zero projects. Um, and these are... Um, projects that folks identify, the neighbors say this is a dangerous intersection, we want to you know, put resources toward it, we fund it, uh, the money's there, and it takes forever to get them implemented. And so, you know, I wanna just put the question to all of us as to whether the way that we're doing it is the right and the moral way of doing it. Do we have to um, have a study that proves that people have been killed at an intersection before we prioritize it and we put physical 
uh, improvements to make it better. So I, um, as you all know, I'm a bike rider. I, I ride my bike to City Hall through uh, Chair Mandelman's district, and um, you know when I'm late, which I often, am, <laughs> uh, I uh, take the most direct route, which is Portola. It's not the safest route, which would be you know behind City College and San Jose Avenue. Um, but after Twin Peaks, the top of Twin Peaks, that um, the bike lane disappears, and you're in a four-lane highway uh, where cars are going 60 miles an hour. Um, I don't want to be one of those injuries, <laughs> but you know we've been talking about a bike lane on that street forever um, while there's parking on both sides and you know I understand that there's an issue but here when are we going to do it when are we going to have a prioritization of the high injury corridor um, but also I'm just put why are we like prior you know why are we waiting for the numbers and the fatalities to be you know proven before we do something about it that's really not a moral you know uh that's not consistent with our value. So in District 7, um, we see high injuries uh, on Ocean Avenue in front of City College campus and on 19th Avenue in front of San Francisco State University two of the most important educational institutions in our city. Um, I want to prioritize safety. I, that, you know, uh, is of the utmost important to the future of the folks who are in those institutions. Uh, I don't want to wait. Uh, well, that is important, and I, and I agree with you, Chair Mandelman, that we should have uh, data that is, um, you know, uh, updated more frequently. I don't want to wait until folks get injured or killed before we prioritize it, because we know those uh, intersections are dangerous and the neighbors are telling us, and then we've put resources towards it, and it still doesn't happen in a timely manner. So um, I just want to say that, you know, um, I think it's worth a discussion whether or not we're, we're doing it the right way. Thank you, Commissioner Melgar. Uh, Commissioner Preston. Thank you, Chair Mandelman, um, and thank you to um, folks at DPH and MTA and TA for all the work on this. Um, it's it's obviously I just echo want to echo and second the concerns raised by Supervisor Melgar around um, the ongoing um, fatalities and the need for us to to ramp up our response in a more proactive way. Um, I think there's some of the numbers you know, that really stand out to me just around, uh, around this report um, that suggest that we need more of a uh, systemic uh, approach when I see the vehicle miles traveled on our streets um, rising, that's, that's a sign that we are doing something or not doing what we should be doing in terms of making streets safe for uh, for, for cyclists and ramping up public transit and move basically shifting uh, or achieving the mode shift from private private vehicles. Um, also, I think I don't think anyone could look at that presentation and not be uh, extremely concerned and shocked by the extreme overrepresentation of Black San Franciscans in the fatality uh, counts. Uh, that that you know relative really to any other group on that chart um, that is. Uh, is deeply concerning. Um, I did have some questions um, on the, um, the that there's reference to speed management plan and I just wanted to get some clarity on 
when we're expecting this to be finalized and presented to the TA and when and, and how long of an implementation period we are anticipating for a speed management plan. So it's both when will it be presented uh, to the TA and what do we know what the time frame for completion of that plan will be. And I think that, well, I don't know if that is for um, Mr. Pardo or for, or for MTA, Mr. Parks. Is, um, Jimmy, are you still on the line? Yeah, I, I can take this. This is uh, Ryan Reeves. Um, I'm on Jamie's team in, in Liberal Streets um, at SFMTA. And uh, my colleague, Wen and uh, Noah and I are leading the update to the, the Comprehensive Speed Management Plan. Um, we have a draft plan that's uh, in development. Um, a major part of that is the, the 20 mile per hour work that is underway, um, that, as you know, has been um, partially funded by, by TA Prop K funds. Um, in terms of the specific uh, comprehensive plan, we do we did commit in the action strategy to have a draft plan this year. Um, so we will have something by the end of the year to, to share. Um, part of what we had in um, our, our CIP plus for um, continuing to build out that comprehensive speed management plan was tied to uh, future revenue measures, um, which as you know, we, we, we aren't going to be getting. Um, so we are going to need to be doing some rethinking about what that looks like. And does the draft plan set forth a time frame for completion, or are we not yet at a point with that plan where we know the time frame? Um, it doesn't really specify uh, the completion of every single component. It's more um, outlining the, the tools that we have um, and our plans to really maximize those tools. Um, so it, it you know, includes a range of things like our, our traffic calming work, um, the work to reduce speed limits, um, our education and outreach work, high visibility enforcement, um, as well as our field programs. And, and I would add to that that I think, you know, the implementation timeframe will be somewhat dependent on funding funding availability as well, and so we'll we'll flesh that out. And I, I think going back to Commissioner Melgar's comments about not waiting as well, this is an example where we are doing a comprehensive plan, but we are absolutely not waiting to implement speed management controls around San Francisco. We're leading the state on implementing 20 mile an hour zones and maximizing our state authority. So we're developing a comprehensive plan, but we're also working in the meantime to to implement changes on our streets as quickly as we can. Thank you. And what's the price tag for the comprehensive plan? Do you sorry, I was on mute. Um, we were, oh, sorry, Jamie, I was on mute. Go, go <laughs> I, I can go ahead. We had originally estimated um, five to six million in our, in our CIP uh, plus to deliver the comprehensive plan over the course of, um, I think it was three to four years. So I, I mean, I understand that we're all certainly frustrated by the results of the, the recent bond, but it, it, I, I'm not getting why we would not have five to six million dollars. That, that is a relatively small sum in terms of, you know, for, for a comprehensive speed management plan when we know that speed's the number one cause of traffic-related fatalities. So um, I, I, I think, I, I guess my request and suggestion would be that we just get more concrete about presenting that plan, implementing it. 
I don't know why it takes three years to implement. Uh, I don't think it's the funding at a five to six million price tag that should be standing in the way of, of doing that. Um, a couple, couple other questions um, on the, um, the quick build, and this is something we talked about, and I, I don't want to go back over this because we talked about this with MTA at a prior hearing, but so I, I want to both commend MTA on the quick build work, which has really been transformative in, for certain blocks, certain neighborhoods, but also recognize that we continue to do this on a block-by-block -block basis, and we continue to run up against uh, delays. I will just say, you know, within my district, I am extremely frustrated that the Page Slow Street is, uh, has been delayed in getting to the MTA uh, board for, um, for necessary improvements, and now some of that's been pared down, and we're fighting to make that as strong as possible. The Oak Street bike lane that we approved some design funds for may now be threatened with some delay. We're trying to work through that. The Golden Gate Greenway uh, in the Tenderloin, which has broad community support, has been uh, the subject of, of a lot of coverage and interest, um, and hopefully there's a path through. But each of these we, we approach on a project-by-project project basis and then uh, negotiate to make them work and advocate for them. Um, what I identified last time and just want to re-bump uh, up is the absolute need for a a, a comprehensive citywide plan so that people can get on a bike and go from point A to point B without getting hit by a car. And we should not be doing that block by block despite all the great work happening block by block. I think it is a problem that we don't have a citywide plan and network that we can look at. Um, and so we are working on that with MTA, but I just want to, in any of these conversations, bump that up because we will never get there in terms of eliminating the fatalities if we are dealing with intersection by intersection, block by block, instead of a comprehensive um, plan. Uh, two other things. One, I just wanted to mention, uh, thank my colleague, uh, Supervisor Marr, uh, for his partnership on the uh, traffic fatalities town hall. Um, uh, resolution that we introduced that will be going to committee and looking forward to working with DPH and MTA and the TA further on that. I think it's essential uh, that we have a, a public meeting and I've talked about that uh, at the Board of Supervisors and just wanted to bring that into our TA conversation as well. So that will be uh, moving forward and uh, I think it's important that we have that forum uh, to meet with and talk with the public uh, whenever there is a, a fatality uh, in the aftermath. Um, and then the last thing I, I wanted to, that, that is a question, I'm just, I'm struck by when you, when you look at that map, that high injury map, there's certain things that really stand out. I now have the pleasure of representing the Tenderloin over the last two months. Pretty much the entire Tenderloin is, on, is blue on that map, is high injury. Um, and, and, and I just wanted to, to hear what, I'm struck by the fact that a tiny percentage of residents in the Tenderloin, tiny percentage, own cars or rely on vehicles to get to and from their home. And yet that, there's a concentration of deaths on the street um, in the, the Tenderloin. And so I, I, beyond the work that's been done, are there any bigger, uh, more radical proposals in the works to dramatically decrease, if not eliminate, uh, 
vehicle traffic in the in the tenderloin. I mean, it's 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 unique in the city in that way that I think we have 10, maybe 15 percent of residents uh, that even use a car. And yet, if you look at that map, every block of the tenderloin is on the high injury network. So I know there's been some good work uh, and my. Uh, and uh, Supervisor Dorsey's <coughs> predecessor, when he was representing the Tenderloin, did some good work around uh, right turns, around speed reductions in the Tenderloin. Um, but I, I just find myself looking at that neighborhood a little differently than some others around whether we should start from a presumption that other than commercial vehicles that need to get in to deliver something or, you know, like why, why we have cars speeding through the Tenderloin, it, it seems to of no benefit to residents of the Tenderloin uh, and seems to be where a disproportionate number of the, of the deaths are occurring. So I'm just uh, wondering if there are any particular plans uh, that, that uh, would address that. Yeah, that, that is a great question. I think looking at this map for the first time in 2017 and seeing every single block on the Tenderloin light up, um, you know, um, we, we noticed, and there's no neighborhood where that has seen more investment in street safety changes than the Tenderloin in the past three to four years. And so it's, I think one reason why we are interested in seeing a new high injury network is to see whether those investments are, are paying off the actual changes to the, the data that we're seeing. Um, and there's, in our, in our last capital program two years ago, we also committed to a quick build program to do quick build projects on every single street in the Tenderloin. We are about two thirds of the way through that now. Um, but whereas five or six years ago, almost every single street in the Tenderloin had was three lanes and three lane one way streets. Uh, we were down to, I think only two streets remaining that are three lanes and one way between two way conversions on Eddie and Ellis and um, re lane reductions on Turk, Golden Gate, Taylor, Leavenworth and, and Jones, we are we're making our way through comprehensively changing every single street in the Tenderloin. Um, but to your point, Commissioner Preston, there's no question that a lot more is needed in the Tenderloin and um, we're, we're open to, to bold changes there as well. Thanks so much. Look forward to continuing to work with you on that. Thank you, <clears throat> Commissioner Preston. All right, let's uh, open this item to public comment. How many folks do we have on the line, Madam Clerk? Operator, um, there is one hand. There is one hand raised so far. All right, um, then we will do two minutes. Reminder, we are taking public comment on this item. And if you are speaking, please turn off any noise you have behind you. Thank you. Welcome caller, your two minutes begins now. First and foremost, the gentleman who gave this uh, presentation gave a presentation that is very convoluted. There's an acronym called KISS, keep it simple, stupid. And that applies to the supervisors. How many times has it come to our attention that we need a superior digital platform, that we need to address our broadband. How many times has it come to our attention that our dispatch centers, our communication has not been upgraded? 
So here we have a presentation that doesn't even give you the latest data. How can you do a needs assessment? And we have a budget of $14 billion, and we don't care about having a sound vision zero traffic fertility plan or report. On San Bruno, in the year 2009, I made some suggestions. It is now 2022. Instead of, instead of improving San Bruno Avenue, they removed some parking, parking uh, meters. It's been four years since the crosswalks have been painted. Our seniors are put in harm's way. And you give the public two minutes to explain to you something that needs 10 minutes. Because most of you are stupid. Thank you. I'll tell you that I'm stupid. Are up. Welcome, caller. Your two minutes begins now. Good morning, Chair Mandelman and Commissioners. My name is Brian Hogsman, and I'm Walk San Francisco's Vision Zero organizer. Um, I want to thank DPH for being here today to present the tr data on traffic violence um, because it's really tragic how many people lost their lives to traffic violence last year, and even worse, to know that we're on course for it to be one of the worst years with 19 fatalities in only half the year. Um, and what I think is most alarming is that pedestrians year after year continue to be in the most danger just trying to get around our city. <clears throat> the rate at which pedestrians are dying on our streets is more than double the national average, and yet there continues to be a lack of urgency and coordination among the city agencies that have the mandate to end traffic crashes through the city's Vision Zero program. There's 15 city agencies um, that have a role to play and should be a part of this conversation. Uh, with only 30 months left before we get to the Vision Zero 2024 goal, commissioners, please use the power of this commission to hear on what they're doing to hear, to achieve Vision Zero. Um, because we need transparency um, from whether it's uh, the fire department who reviews street design plans and can veto safety changes, the SFPD, who's, who, um, as um, the commissioner mentioned, was, is, is responsible for enforcing the five most dangerous driving behaviors. Um, let's hear from the public works department, um, who just got 500 miles of repavement money to, uh, approved by um, Mayor Breed. What is their role in the speed management plan in installing speed bumps and pedestrian safety zones on every corner? And we need an updated high injury network map from the DPH. Um, so we can know exactly where those improvements need to be targeted and to know what's, what's been working in recent years. Our agencies need to hear from this commission that this is a priority for the next two years because we know that without every agency urgently focused on the solutions that we know work, we will keep seeing these preventable tragedies. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Welcome, caller. Your two minutes begins now. Caller, hello. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, I have some static on the line. Go ahead, I have caller. Static on the, yeah, okay. uh, I, I, I'm, I'm having some static on the line. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, my comment. My comment is that. Uh, uh, 
to close the upper great highway permanently would be a huge mistake by not allowing traffic on the upper great highway you're going what what has happened is that the traffic loads in the sunset area have increased greatly so if you really believe in the importance of your vision zero program you will keep the upper great highway open to traffic it's a very safe one of the safest streets in San Francisco because there's no cross traffic and no turns so please when the time comes to make that decision about the upper great highway remember vision zero and the benefit that having that highway open is for the lives of elderly and the disabled and the pedestrians thank you thank you caller welcome caller your two minutes begins now thanks chairman and commissioners and city staff this is Luke Bornheimer and as many of you know I've been doing organizing advocacy related to vision zero for close to two years now as supervisor Melgar and Preston highlighted the current approach of reactively addressing individual intersections and blocks when someone is killed isn't fast or effective enough we have a crisis on our hands and there are far too many obstacles and hurdles in the way of making the critically essential changes to our streets that Jamie and his team know are effective and want to implement notably those hurdles and obstacles are the fire department who obstruct you know most any safe street change through through the task meeting which aren't public and it's very hard for anyone to know what happens there they actually don't have a veto power there but they influence designs directly and so I think we really need to bring more awareness to those meetings and to better understand how projects are being watered down and obstructed and delayed and influenced by the fire department both directly and indirectly the other the other hurdle that I commonly see with safe streets projects is is a reactive pushback from people who fear change and that includes the fire department but it also includes people who are used to you know driving convenience around our city and so when something like a parking spot being removed is being proposed to create a parking protected bike lane or a parking spot is being removed for daylighting or a bulb out or just a road diet from a three-lane or five-lane dangerous street to four lanes there's an tremendous pushback and unfortunately far too often that pushback eats up and so checking for additional public comment I see no more comment chair all right public comment on item 9 is closed thank you dr. Pardo and mr. Parks and we will look forward to hearing from you again soon madam clerk please call item 10 item 10 streets and freeway strategy update this is an information item is Alyssa pass around hello good morning chair and and commissioners my name is Aliza pause and I will be 
giving an update on the streets and freeways strategy. I just want to make sure you all um, can see the deck. We can, I think. Great. Yeah. Um, okay, so next slide, please. So the streets and freeways strategy is part of Connect SF, which is our multi-agency process to build an effective, equitable, and sustainable transportation system for San Francisco's future. It is guided by five goal areas, equity, economic vitality, environmental sustainability, safety and livability, and accountability and engagement. Next slide, please. The strategy identified key challenges to our streets and freeway network, which are that we have limited street space and need to move more people in the same space that we have today. Past investments in freeways and major roads have divided communities and create transportation barriers, safety challenges, and contribute to poor air quality. And we're in a climate crisis where private transportation makes up a significant portion of San Francisco's greenhouse gas emissions. Um, these challenges guided the five recommendations of the streets and freeways strategy, which are to maintain and reinvest in the transportation system, prioritize transit and carpooling on our streets and freeways, build a complete network for walking and biking, prioritize safety in all of our investments and through targeted programs, and to repair harms and reconnect communities. Next slide, please. The streets um, and freeway strategy had, has three elements. The first was to identify priority segments based on the Connect SF goal areas. An example of this would be where major roads and freeway segments run through equity priority communities or have congestion or uses that impede transit reliability. We also conducted outreach, which was presented earlier this year. Um, and was conducted in the summer of 2021 and included um, partnerships with community-based organizations, an online survey, and a town hall meeting. And the third, the third piece is the concept development work, which is what we're presenting today. Um, and the concepts are intended to identify transportation challenges, opportunities, and multimodal connections, and will set a range of medium and long-term high-level direction to guide future efforts. All of the concepts will need um, formal planning processes, community engagement, and technical analysis processes as funding becomes available to advance individual concepts. Next slide. Concepts are grouped into four categories, maintenance and resilience, transit and high occupancy vehicle priority, safety and active transportation networks, and concepts to reconnect communities and repair harms. Each of the concepts that we'll go over addresses a combination of, of the strategy's recommendations and combined the concepts help address the challenges of our streets and freeway network and advance the Connect SF vision and goals. Next slide. The first category is maintenance and resilience. Um, the first concept here is to maintain road infrastructure to keep our signs, signals, sidewalks, streets, and bike lanes in overall good condition. The next three concepts are ongoing resilience efforts in San Francisco, and the streets and freeway strategy recognizes that these efforts are important to protecting transportation assets in the city against the, sets, against the threats of sea level rise. Um, the Embarcadero Seawall Program is an effort to create a more sustainable and resilient waterfront 
to protect economic activity and transportation assets, including our BART, Caltrain, and Muni stations. The Ocean Beach Master Plan is a vision to address sea level rise and protect infrastructure and improve public access to the coast. And the Islas Creek Adaptation Strategy identifies ways to adapt and enhance transportation assets and bring benefits to the communities in the southeast part of the city. Next slide. The second category is transit and high occupancy vehicle priority. Shown in blue is the arterial high occupancy vehicle concept, which would dedicate one travel lane for use by vehicles with two or more occupants on major arterials like 19th Avenue, Lombard, um, and Park Presidio. Um, SFMTA is currently piloting arterial HOV lanes on Lombard and planning for additional pilots. In green is the managed lanes and express bus on the freeway network concept, which would de dedicate one lane for high occupancy vehicles paired with express bus, such as transit and carpools, to make transit and carpooling more reliable and close gaps in the region's managed lane network. Shown in orange is the Bay Bridge transit only lane, which would dedicate um, westbound, a westbound lane for transit vehicles to support more reliable transit speed and increase the amount of people that can be moved on the Bay Bridge. Eastbound lanes are also recommended for further study to, trans, um, to support transit access from the Salesforce Transit Center. Also shown in orange is the I-80 ramp mitigation concept, which supports the Bay Bridge transit only lanes by identifying potential ramp, ramps that can be adjusted to support transit priority, improve circulation, and reduce safety conflicts in SOMA. Next slide, please. The next category is safe and active transportation network. Um, the complete network for walking and biking concept is a high-level vision of a citywide pedestrian and bike network that includes improving about 200 miles of the um, bike and pedestrian network by closing gaps, creating mobility hubs, and improving regional connections, as well as implementing Vision Zero improvements for all of the Vision Zero action strategies across the city. The freeway ramp safety concept identifies 14 freeway ramp locations with a history of crashes that are on or near the high injury network um, for near-term ramp safety improvements. This builds on work um, that was previously done and identified improvement, improvements for ramps in the SOMA area. The baby circulation concept identifies the need to build on recent studies in the area to develop a combination of infrastructure and policy changes to improve safety for all people traveling within the neighborhood and to other parts of the city or region. The new and improved freeway crossings concept builds on a Caltrans freeway crossing comfort assessment to identify areas where freeway crossings can be improved or new crossings may be needed. The Alamany Maze concept would reconfigure ramps and surrounding intersections to improve safety and access for large vehicles and people crossing the freeway by walking or biking. And the west side circulation concept would improve traffic circulation on the west side with intersection redesigns, complete street improvements um, to improve access for all modes. Next slide, please. The last category is to reconnect communities and repair past harms. 
concepts in this category bring together transportation and land use to begin to repair harms from past major freeway and road projects. The Brotherhood, Alamany, and Sagamore concept identifies a need to improve circulation, connectivity, and safety along major corridors to connect to Lake Merced and also to regional transit while creating space for new land use opportunities for community priorities. The Balboa Park concept identifies a need to improve transit and active connections across I-280 with street design, changes to freeway ramps, and potential for new land uses. The Alamany Stack concept identifies an opportunity to consolidate I-280 and Alamany into a vertical structure to create more space for greening and community priorities. The Geary Fillmore underpass concept identifies the need to reimagine the underpass in coordination with long-term transit planning and land use planning for the corridor, which would improve connections and safety between the Japantown and Western Edition neighborhoods. I also want to note that other concepts in the streets and freeways strategy also work towards reconnecting communities along the freeway network that have been impacted by freeways. Um, for example, the Alamany maze and the baby circulation concepts um, help address connectivity on the southern segment of the 101. Next slide. To conclude with next steps, the streets and freeway strategy will be released in the coming months. And as part of Connect SF, the strategy identifies long-term concepts for major roads and freeways in the city. The SFTP are um, the, the city's long-range transportation plan. will use the streets and freeway strategy as an input to identify our investment priorities and position the city for federal, state, and local funding opportunities. And the update to the transportation element led by the planning department will codify strategies and concepts in the San Francisco general plan. And next slide, please. That concludes the presentation and I'm happy to take any questions and MTA and um, planning staff is also available to answer questions. Thank you, Ms. Paz. Um, seeing if there's any comments or questions. Let's open this item to public comment. Checking for public comment on this item. I see no hands raised, Chair. All right, uh, public comment on this item is closed. Um, thank you for the update. We will look forward to seeing the plan over the summer. Um, and uh, Madam Clerk, please call the next item. Item 11, introduction of new items. This is an information item. See anyone popping up on my queue? Uh, Madam Clerk, please call our next item. Item 12, general public comment. Um, how many folks do we have in the queue? Checking for public comment on item number 12, which is general public comment. There are no hands raised. All right, well then we will open and close public comment on item 12. Um, uh, Madam Clerk, please call item 13. Item 13, adjournment. We are adjourned. <laughs>